podcast. This is a podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. On this episode, I have today with me Rachel Hamer. She is a singer, songwriter, and musician who is from Hawaii originally, but is now living in New York. So welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So can you tell us about yourself? Tell us, I mean, how, what, well, first of all, we're still kind of mid-COVID. What are things like in New York for you right now? Things in New York at this moment in time are still pretty um, depressing for me personally. I the weather has been really hard as as i'm sure everyone knows we've gone through several nor'easter storms and a lot of snowfall much much more than uh, i've lived in new york for coming up on 8 years and this has been by far the heaviest snowfall wise uh that i've experienced in new york and not not only that just uh the st- restrictions and everything there's been no live music whatsoever no um, entertainment outside of your own TV at all. And it's been, it's been tough. It's been really, really tough. Um, fortunately now, because I also teach music, I was able to get vaccinated. So there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, that's good to hear. And, um, so tell us, I mean, what you do in New York for your music. Yeah. So as far as my music goes, I, um, have, I do, music for Takia Music. I'm one of the musicians on staff there. That is a early childhood music program. Some of their stuff is secular. Some of their stuff is um, Jewish. Uh, and I'm also Jewish. So that makes sense. So I play for Takia. I also have a permit to play in the New York City subway system. It's a very coveted permit. Although you see freelancers in the subway all the time. And that's amazing. The more music, the merrier. Those of us who have been commissioned by New York City, we have this sign. It's a very exclusive permit, which allows you to play in more specific locations. So I have that, although that program has been on suspension for a year now. And then um, I gig, I play, I have a band. um, And I also do music therapy for elder folks. Uh, which leads to, that's how I learned all the songs. My, my subway act is called the ukulele time machine because I love to take you back in time to any, any point where pop music was played. I play all the pop music through the eras going all the way back to before the public domain. Love that. And smart. And that's, I mean, I think we've talked about this in the past, but this is probably likely one of the reasons that they, enjoyed using you for that one of those coveted permits. And can you just tell us, I mean, that's really something uh, interesting that I, I bet a lot of people would like to know about. What is it like to be granted one of those very, um, I can't think of a better word than coveted things to, to get a permit for playing at Grand Central Station? Yeah, sure. So the, the program is called Musicians Under New York, and it's, as a, it's a part of the New York City Subway Arts initiative, which also includes people who do, for instance, the mosaics on the walls of some of the hallways in the subway in New York, and things like the poetry that's displayed on the metro cards or in the subway uh, as art as well. So this department does all of that. And the music is the biggest part, the one um, that I have this, this permit for. It's actually a lifetime appointment, which is so awesome. As long as I am able to maintain at least a few gigs a year um, with them this year, of course, notwithstanding, right. um, I'll, I'll be able to keep the permit um, as long as I don't play too loud. That's their number one rule. You play too loud and you will not turn it down. You could get kicked out of the program. And if you don't take at least a couple gigs a year, you could get kicked out of the program. Um, what it's like, it's it's really great because there are so few 
nationally recognized things. I mean, there's getting a Grammy, of course. We, Grammys just passed. Congratulations to all the winners. And there's these other big, big awards. And then there's like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And other than that, there's not a lot of distinction for a musician. So it's really cool to be able to say, I have this permit and that means that I don't suck. I mean, <laughs> yes. it, that's that's really what it comes down to. And I can say like, oh, I'm one of the musicians under New York. And then people know, okay, this is not someone who's just running on publicity because you cannot, the way that you get that, the audition process is extremely long. And I, I think actually that's one of the main reasons that so many people don't get it because they can't jump through all the hoops and continue the long process. It takes you, because it's a lifetime appointment, of course, they're taking their time. So you apply right. every year in February. So if, so if you want to apply for this permit, look to next year because that the deadline has already passed. Yeah. You apply in February and then sometime in April or May, they have an audition in Grand Central. You go down and you perform for the other people who have the permit. The other people who have been granted the musicians under wow. New York permit are the ones who say, along with the directors of the program, are the ones who say yay or nay. And um, there's about 30 people who are also very high level musicians voting for you. So there's no way to cheat around that. I mean, I don't think that those pe those of us who have it even would take like a bribe or anything. It's it, There's no way. So mm -hmm. um, you really can only get it. Uh, if you live in New York, you try really hard to get it. You're way willing to do all of the different various steps and processes for the audition. It's a multi-step audition over multiple months. And you also have to be unique and you also have to be good at what you do. So, yeah, well, congratulations. And um, so they haven't been having the, the music in for the subways um, for a while now. Do, is there any, any, do you see any hope for when that returns? Um, funnily enough, right before I left, I saw Bill de Blasio, our current mayor of New York City, although he is on the way out and we hope to have someone else, we will have someone else new after our next election in June. Um, he organized an initiative to allow artists of all kinds to be able to have um, permits to perform on the street in New York and to be able to get out some music. And this is completely separate from the subway thing. As far as the, I've been reading the newsletters from the subway, they're like, any minute now, just hang on. <laughs> Soon, everyone, all will be okay. So that's what's going on there. But de Blasio came out and said, oh, we can, if you just apply, we can give you a, a permit to go out and be able to play on the street. And that'll be legal now because we wanna start bringing arts back in a way that's more safe. And, um, but the problem is it is freezing cold. It is so cold and the weather is so terrible at this time of year. In order to make this announcement, he had a troupe of dancers and I felt so bad for them because they were like literally trying to dance in a parka. I think one of them almost slipped on black ice during the segment. <laughs> it was, it was a little bit, it was, it was not ideal. And um, so <laughs> we're trying, they're trying, but it's the weather is making it real tough right. and, and spring is not reliable. Um, and after all of that wet, wet snow and weather we had in winter, I, I expect that the weather will continue to not cooperate with the New York art scene. So it makes it, it makes it tough, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, fingers crossed that you're able to safely return to what you've been doing and what you enjoy doing uh, sooner than later. Uh, and so what is it like playing in the, you know, in the subway, like, you know, playing your ukulele time machine? How do people receive that? Um, well, that's a good question. Uh, my favorite spot to play, and we don't have, they don't assign you a permanent spot or anything. You have to apply every two weeks for, or you have to rather call into the call or email into the office and just say, um, you know, Hey guys, I'd like to have, uh, three to six at, Yankee Stadium, or I'd like to have three to six at West 4th Street. Um, and then they issue you the permit and then you go during that time. And um, so my favorite spot was Grand Central. And first of all, that happens to be a really great pairing between me and the ukulele. 
and I have a, a singular amp that, cause you have to have amplification to do that. And that particular spot in the gray bar passage is only for a single song songwriter or a single individual musician with a guitar or a ukulele, or it could be a keyboard or a violin, I guess, but not a band. And um, so it's got this beautiful echo chamber because the marble walls of Grand Central really give back the sound so nicely. So I'm in there singing and I play all this old stuff, you know, Moon River and all these really old nostalgic tunes. And um, uh, I've had a couple really amazing experiences. Like everything else, there are some days when you go and you're, you feel like, well, that was a waste. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But some days you go and you know that you totally changed someone's day or totally even made them gave them something that they couldn't have gotten any other way that that's actually my whole act my whole the whole point of my act in the subway and the ukulele time machine because i personally have a mission to help people to feel better and to have better um, mental health through music and i know that a lot of people don't have the ability the money the bandwidth to go out of their house after work to go to a concert or a bar or someplace. But if I'm playing in the subway, they still have to get to work. So I usually play in the afternoon rush and then a lot of people will stop and they'll kind of hang out for a couple songs and, and listen. And I can see on their faces that they feel better when they leave. And that's that to me is amazing and priceless. And I've had countless both New Yorkers and tourists come up to me and tell me that they just so appreciated the music and that it made them feel so much better. And and you also play for the people who are in the shops there who hear the whole concert. A, a lot of them will come up and say like, wow, thank you for not playing the entire song, the entire three hours of one song. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. That can happen, yeah. So does the permit then allow you to go uh, to various places in New York City? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, they have a whole map of different platforms that are reserved for us. And yeah, you pick one, you ask them for the spot. And presuming no one else has asked first, they issue you the permit. What other kinds of places could you play in? Um, So I'm really familiar with the ones in the downtown area because I live in downtown Manhattan in the Lower East Side. So it's the, um, you know, the best places are all the transit centers. Of course, Grand Central is the biggest transit center of them all. Um, the Port Authority also has several different platforms in it, a huge transit center, really good. Um, the Fulton Street Center is a brand new, it's almost like it wants to be part subway system and part shopping mall. And I love it. I'm, I'm totally here for it. So I love playing in the, the Fulton Center. Um, but they're all subway stops. You know, they're all transit centers. Um, and Grand Central, of course, being the one that's most varied. It's got coffee shops and a food court and all this history. It's got a museum in there. And it's got the iconic um, big room with the clock and the ceiling that's all painted. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it in the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And and now you're able to, are you a part of the process for new applicants to um, be able to, you know, get their permits? Get to- um, I have not actually gotten uh, into that process yet. That's something that you have to volunteer for. Yeah. And um, no, I haven't. I haven't been a part of that yet, but I had hoped to do it this year, this coming up April. So like I said, I'm watching the newsletters to see if they're going to have a live audition. It's possible it may be on Zoom. I'm not sure how they're going to negotiate it. Maybe they're going to just put it off uh, till the next year. So I had hoped to participating in this upcoming one, but they've not yet made any announcement on how that's going to happen. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, and you can tell me if this is okay or not, but um, do they pay you for this or is it just all like for a tip-based kind of thing? Oh yeah. There's no pay. There's absolutely no pay. Um, We are encouraged to put out our tip cup and they strongly encourage us to, you know, make sure that we do right by the government, but there's really no pay and no tracking of any tips that we get. Right. Right. 
that's kind of what I thought, but just, you know, since it's a more organized program, sometimes you never know. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for telling us about that. And do you consider ukulele your main instrument then? Oh, that's a great question. I actually consider my voice to be my main instrument, although I play a whole bunch of different ones. In quarantine, my project was to learn the drums and I have a fantastic teacher who teaches me a drum kit. And so I play that. I play guitar. I play the ukulele. I play I play the ukulele most probably because it's the easiest to transport and the unique, uniquest, most unique. <laughs> um, but yeah, ukulele and voice, uh, it's... As you can probably tell by listening to me already, I have had a hard time in life niching down um, because I have sort of always had the buckshot resume um, as a musician and in other ways in life. And so I hesitate to say, yes, ukulele and voice is my um, main thing. And I should probably get used to that a little more. <laughs> hey, that's okay. You, if, if you have more than one talent and more than one... Um... I hate using the word talent. I don't know why I just said that because, you know, we as musicians, like we know that it's a lot more than talent, but, <laughs> but uh, if you have more than one skill, then yeah, why not use them all? So, um, but how long have you been a musician? How long have you been singing or playing ukulele? Well, I'm pretty sure I was singing coming down the birth canal. So that would make uh, 37 and three quarter years. <laughs> um, <laughs> my birthday's in April, but um yeah, I, I've been, I, I can't remember a time when I did not uh, have music in my life. My mom has a picture of me at the piano in diapers. Actually, piano was my first instrument, although I barely touch it anymore, um, except for composing or using it on a MIDI. Um, for my last album, The Island Girl Reflections, I did all the instruments myself on a MIDI keyboard or ukulele, um, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I know that I started piano lessons officially at, I believe, six. Um, and I had, I went to a very musically oriented school, a Waldorf school, uh, Steiner school. And my teacher was heavily into music as well, which I don't think was a coincidence. And um I played recorder and I played, that's where I learned the ukulele. So anyway, long winded answer to say, I don't know. <laughs> that's all right. But you started playing ukulele. What, what was it about the ukulele for you? Well, it's such a great instrument in Hawaii. And honestly, it happened pretty early. Like um, I, I was in this school, this Waldorf school. I had come into the school a little bit later in fourth grade rather than kindergarten. And my, the teacher who was the one who had the ukulele band, because it was a band of uh, young girls and a couple of boys who would get together after school and play the ukulele with this teacher, uh, he was literally walking outside the choir room and heard me singing from inside because I was just so exuberant and over the top and like <laughs> trying to sing at the top of my lungs all the time. And so after that, he approached me and he said, you know, it's clear that you like to sing. And a lot of these other kids in the ukulele group, they, they aren't singing, they're not opening their mouths. So would you like to come and lead the way for the singing? Cause clearly you're very exuberant and loud. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So that's how that happened. And I, I just loved it. You know, I, there's no reason behind it other than it was offered to me. And, and like every instrument I've ever touched, it's just been, you know, love at first pluck. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, and so how did you, well, first of all, what was it like growing up in Hawaii? I mean, because so many people are just envious of that. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the simple answer is it was fantastic. How can you, I mean, I had an idyllic childhood. My parents are swell. I lived in Hawaii. You know, my dad is a professor. He works for the university of Hawaii at Manoa. And so like, uh, you know, we had, we had every, I had every need taken care of. And I was like, sun is shining all the time. People are way happier in Hawaii. They have like <laughs> big smiles all the time. And people are generally just more open and free than in a place like New York, for sure. Um, and um, <laughs> yeah. And the other side of that is growing up, 
it's hard. It's, it gets, when you're a child, it's amazing. It's an amazing place to live. At least it was for me. Um, but then when you come into awakening and trying to do something for yourself or become your own person, it gets very small, very quickly, very, very isolated. It's literally the most isolated inhabited piece of rock on the face of the planet because that Pacific ocean is so massive and it's so hard to, it's so hard to, um, it's so hard to just get your wings and fly. Like I couldn't drive to the nearest city to start to play gigs or do any right. of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so what made you do the big move from Hawaii to, was it from Hawaii to New York? Yes, it was from Hawaii. I mean, I'd lived in Colorado. I'd lived in, um, I'd lived in California. I had lived in Germany. And uh, because of the fact that I needed to escape so badly from all of the craziness, it's Hawaii, I mean, the smallness, you know, it's not yeah. crazy. It's just, it's so isolated in there. So it's such huge limitations on you as an artist. So I've been in Colorado, the economic, uh, economic downturn of 2008 hit. I moved back to Hawaii with my tail between my legs. Totally had to like go sleep on my parents' couch for a few weeks, regroup. Then I got my act together. Then I was in Hawaii selling Aloha shirts at Macy's, <laughs> you know, uh, teaching music at my alma mater at the Waldorf School in Hawaii and trying to eke out an existence there. And then a lot of people actually, I, you know, presume that I kind of went to New York to become a musician and make it big. And um, I realized that I, even though I think to myself like, oh yeah, that would be great, you know, to still be the Lady Gaga, the next Lady Gaga. Like, I don't know if that's possible at the age of 38, but you know, <laughs> to be the next Lady Gaga and to be like super famous, to be on Broadway and all this, but really I've just been a musician all this time, kind of on the side, kind of like I did it because I had to, because I loved it so much. Or, you know, I was singing exuberantly because that's just how I am. And then someone pushed a ukulele into my hands and was like, here, try this. Yeah. Oh, and I'm happy. So I've always just been a musician. So I did not move to New York to become a musician, to make it big, to go on Broadway, to, to be, you know, famous or anything. I came to New York because I was in a really bad situation in Hawaii. I had a terrible, terrible relationship with a terrible boyfriend. I was miserable. I was suffering. And my cousin invited me to come to New York. And I realized like, wow, like this is, I align with this place. This is where I need to be. This is the energy. This is the life that I want to live. And of course, my music came with me. It was just a part of it. Yep. And the rest is history. Tell me more about, so you, I mean, I, I love learning about what you do because you're kind of like the definition of, I don't know if you've heard the term portfolio musician, um, where you've like, you just do a lot of different things. Um, and it all kind of combines to, to be like one kind of career in music and, and some other things too, besides music. And, um, and, you know, so many people in music live that way. Um, it's, and I, you know, I've done that. I, I continue to do that really. A lot of musicians do that. That is not unfamiliar territory to most of us, but to the outside world, they think we're crazy because we're like, you know, they're like, how do you keep track of it all? How do you like, you know, how do you, I mean, just go from one hat to the other so easily or you know, they just don't understand this way of life, but we're, we're used to it. How do you do that? And tell us more about what you do besides music. Oh, wow. Okay. So I guess um, to, to continue the theme of, um, you know, it just kind of happens. I like, I, so I have a band for instance, and the way that the band came about, I had had a previous band with whom I recorded Island Girl Reflections. And then that kind of disbanded because uh, our drummer, had to move away and we didn't have a lot of momentum. So we just kind of drifted apart and we stopped doing stuff. And then I was watching the master classes, which they 
advertised to me furiously on Facebook. And if you don't know what that is, it's people who are already famous, like for instance, Helen Mirren teaches acting or Steve Martin teaches comedy, Gordon Ramsay teaches cooking, uh, all these celebrities teaching their craft on masterclasses. And so I had a subscription to masterclass and I watched Armin Van Buren teaches uh, dance music con uh, dance music composition. And I was watching the intro video and he was showing how he made stuff up. He's like, so I just picked two notes here. Yeah, I picked two notes. Da, 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 da. And then I start playing with it. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. And then he described how he built the song. And I just looked at it and I was like, wait a second, I can do that. I can do that. And I immediately called Jason, my bass player from the previous band. And I pitched him this idea on the spot. I said, what if we made a Facebook channel and we would record ourselves doing improv music every week. And then we would make these improv pieces into songs and then we would have a band. And then like a year later we had written 18 new songs. And that was almost exactly one year ago now when the pandemic hit. So the, to answer your question, that it, it's, it's not like I have to keep track of everything. It's like that one thing sort of magnetizes parts of my life to it. That part, you know, that, that the thing that I have this improv music inside magnetizes Jason into it. It magnetizes the Facebook channel. It magnetizes me going in there to write the songs. Then it magnetizes into this band thing happening. So I don't have to keep track of any of that. I just go in there and step-by-step uh, bring in what makes sense. And then at the same time, yeah, I'm doing this thing with the babies, you know, playing to them, you know, row, row, row your boat, rowing to Shabbat. And then I'm, <laughs> and that in itself magnetizes other amazing musicians that are there and brings in gigs that I go, but it's, yeah, I have to keep track of it, but it's just, I put it on my schedule. And then when it's time, I step into that role and step into that role. And it's all, it naturally folds in or organizes itself. And I don't have to do that much work on that organization piece. As I think some people who look at it, when they look at it from the outside, as you were saying, they're in awe. They're, they, they don't know how this all, you know, how, how you keep track of it all to use air quotes, but they, you know, I, I don't have to keep track of it all. I just do it. It just automatically, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like a magnet. I just keep using that. It's just the things that are, going to fit into a certain part of that portfolio or going to naturally fall in there. And I don't have to do too much to make that happen. I just show up, play the, yeah. play the music, pluck the strings. Yeah, I love that. And the rest will just kind of fall into place. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So, and we met uh, in a workshop for uh, people working to learn more about, you know, publicizing themselves and marketing, working with media. And um, so, you, which leads me to think that you are one who's, who's looked into working and building your business. And uh, I just like to ask you about like what you've done in the past to, to learn more about the business and, and how, how you do that. Yeah. You know, um, that's a great question. And I realized I left off a part of the answer for you from the previous question, um, which is that I, I think that, um, you know, one of the biggest things I've learned over being a musician is that there's a difference between being an artist for art's sake and being able to um, pay the bills as a musician. And mm -hmm. that's a big, big shift that I've made. So I have my own company as a life coach and as a transformational healer, a breakthrough coach with mindset and helping people with all kinds of different things. I do Reiki, I do um, uh, breathwork meditation and, and other things that help my clients. And that's now how I've decided I'm going to uh, pay the rent and make my bit in the world. And that unfortunate, you know, we may as a society get to the point, perhaps if we have a universal basic income or more support for the artist types where you are able to be paid to be an artist just for art's sake and you won't have to do the thing to sell out to pay the bills. And so I, the, the one thing that I've been very grateful for is being able to um, 
separate those two. So I have my, my life coaching business on the side and I do great work there. I love my clients. And that's what I took that workshop for is to go into the marketing and um, the music side. Uh, I didn't put it on the back burner. I put it on the side burner because I still have tons going on there. And I only do what I want to do. I only, I'm, I, I'm not going to go do, um, hospice work anymore, for instance, which I used to do. That was a great gig for me because it's just, it, it was very hard. It was very, very hard to be in that situation for obvious reasons. And it did make money, but I'm, I'm okay leaving that to the side now because I don't have to use music to make the money to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you want to know more about that sacred listeners, please read the book, uh, the war of art by Stephen Pressfield, it will really, really help you to get clear on where you are in, if you're a hobbyist, if you are uh, an artist, if you are paying the bills from it, or, uh, and in my case, I, after reading that book, I made the decision to free my art from having to make the money for me so that it could be whatever it needs to be. Um, and part of that is because I don't know so much as I had probably could have about the marketing piece and about getting the music out there. I know everything about playing the music and making the music and building the feeling and all of that, which we get by becoming musicians. Um, and then you look at someone like, for instance, Todd Recall is a great example, who is amazing at marketing and he gets his music out there. And and I, I don't have any of those skills. I would have to either build that or hire a team to do that for me. And um, that's part of the reason I think that I have wanted to put my music career on a side burner because it's easier just to focus on the music than to focus on the marketing piece, which is a whole nother, almost a whole nother career. Yeah. Yeah. Totally understandable. Yeah, it is. It is. It has, yeah, it's, and it's an exhausting career and um, but yeah, so what did that book, I'm curious to, if you could tell us more about that book, like uh, what were the options that I presented again? Yeah. So if you, part of what the book, it's a very short read, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Um, and not to be confused, of course, with The Art of War by Lao Tzu, but <laughs> it's a play on that, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, but Stephen talks about how you... Some people are, they, they are artists in their way, but they're really just hobbyists. They're someone who does it when the feeling comes over them. And Stephen Pressfield makes the point in the book that if you're gonna be a serious artist, and this applies to writers, musicians, visual artists, anyone doing anything relative in the realm of art, um, you have to sit down and make time for that spirit to come in and move you. You have to make the space every day or at least very regularly in order to be able to have the, uh, the space for that muse to come in. You know, people, a lot of, I, I hear a lot of people saying like, oh, I just don't have that, that connection to that, creative spark. And my response to that is, that is because you have not cultivated it. That is because you have not made the space because maybe you did when you were a kid and you were eight years old and, you know, the crayon came into your hand and you drew something and you got lost in that moment and you were so fluid and then you created something that was at the time to the, your best, the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. And that may be, you may be able to you may be able to get into that as an adult, but you have to make the space for it. You have to allow yourself the time to experience it. Or if you're a musician, you have to allow that practice space. You have to get so good at playing the foundational pieces that it can be taken over in a less, in a less structured way to create that creativity. And that's the difference. If you're gonna just be a hobbyist, then whenever it comes over you, then there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that at all. We should all have something for our, you know, um, 
I have in my house in the living room, a big painting. It's probably, you know, about the skill level of a nine-year-old and I keep painting on it. I'll take it down and paint on it sometimes because I am a painting hobbyist because when it comes over me and when it, when the spirit moves me, I'll take that painting down and I'll put some paint on the, on the canvas there. Um, and that there's no shame in that, that that's great. Everyone needs a little art in their lives. If you're going to be an artist though, if you're going to really be an artist, you have to make that space for the muse to come in. You have to allow that to be, you have to go in there and, you know, play. I don't know for everyone, it's a little different, but a certain amount of sessions, there are going to be absolute trash. You have to get that out of the way. You have to be willing to put in the work to make that space so that true art at the highest ability can come through you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, really well said. Yeah. So what was it like once you decided to make that switch and make that or make that definition for yourself? Oh, man. Well, yeah, when I decided to put it on the side burner and just do art for art's sake, it was so freeing. It was so liberating. And when I did that project that I described to you, where, you know, my bandmate Jason would come over and we would, um, we just, I mean, we knew that nobody was watching these Facebook lives, but we were, we didn't care, you know, it was just for us to have a record. And I think Jason's mom would watch them, which is really funny, but um, he, we would just improvise. And some of the sessions, really nothing good came out. I mean, we, we, did, we did a session every week. We literally did 52 sessions and we got 18 songs. So that gives you an idea of how many of them were not worth pursuing or continuing. Um, and so, and, but I'll tell you toward the end of those 52 weeks, we were really getting into a rhythm. And so we have the songs numbered, um, the, the new stuff that we're doing and a lot of them don't even have names yet because we were gonna like mm -hmm. go get a residency somewhere and and start bringing these songs out one by one and sort of name them and um, play them for the audience and get sort of excitement built up, which is, you know, I say that I don't really know anything, but I do know some things about mm -hmm. how to build excitement around an album and create some anticipation for your next song and, um, all that kind of stuff. So we were we were about to do that when when the COVID dis, disrail, derailed it. Um, but a lot of the songs that we ended up keeping are like, you know, song twelve, song thirteen, song fifteen, song. You know, they're they're up there in the numbers that are later sessions. Basically, later sessions were the ones that once we had gotten into the rhythm of it and played some songs that were absolute garbage. They, they were, they just were, they were no good. It, <laughs> I can remember some of them, they were so bad. <laughs> I don't know, I, I don't wanna remember them but I have a really good memory. So they're there, what am I gonna do? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. It's, but that was a great project. And for someone who has, who's doing music on the side that's quite an undertaking too. So, I mean, you're definitely still keeping up with it and, and doing a lot of playing doing a lot of music while you're doing your coaching and things like that. So yeah, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way uh, from being a musician? Oh my gosh, that's a great one. I, well, I think the biggest one is, um, there's two really big ones that come to me right, right off the bat. One is uh, be where you are, be where you are, as in know where you are in life. If you, um, what I mean by that is it's really great to have the desire to, again, make all your money from doing your music or being a rock star, a pop star, all of that. And you got to know where you are, especially because entertainment involves other people. If this were self-development, I would say like, don't compare, don't look at anyone else, just do your own thing. It's, you know, your race, your pace, everything. But um, I'll give you an example, right? I entered the Snoop Dogg song contest, which I think is hilarious. Snoop Dogg, 
they went on click funnels and um with a couple other like really heavy hitting producers and stuff they had the song contest they had over a thousand people submit and i thought like oh this is great like i can do this you know like i know music and so i purchased their little beat pack and i when I listened to it and I made my little song and I was so, so, so proud of it. And I put it out there. I, I go to the party for the release where they're going to play the top 10 songs. Oh my gosh. They were so good. They were so amazing. I felt like embarrassed that I had even submitted that song because it was so, I mean, I was like rapping for the first time, you know, I'm trying, trying to rap. It, 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 it was okay. Yeah. It was okay. It was all right. But I've clearly not put in all of the time to be a rapper like those people. And uh, it was just another great reminder that that's where I'm at. I, I have to know where I'm at. I have to know that I am at the very, very bottom of the rap game. Not that I don't have words, not that I don't have bars, not that I don't have potential, but I'm gonna have to put in, if I wanna go that route, I have to put in a lot more time practicing, rapping, making songs, going in, having not successes and that everyone does that. Everyone has to do that. So know where you're at is like a big lesson. And then another one is that it's kind of a little bit the other side of the coin of this, I think, but you gotta be honest with what you want and what you're willing to do. Mm -hmm. you, you gotta be really, really honest with yourself of, um, because I think that a lot of people, myself included, have made the mistake in the past of just being like, yes, I am good at music. And this means that one day the gods of music production and Lady Gaga will come down and pluck me from obscurity, find me, <laughs> mold me in from this diamond in the rough to this beautiful gem of a person who can go out there and they will place me on the stage and I shall sing and I shall be this national singer. And then you have this idea that all this is gonna happen magically somehow. And that is a beautiful, beautiful story for you to dream at night. And, you know, like if in the words of Britney Spears, if you want it, you better work. So <laughs> you got to be honest, you know, you got to be honest with what you're willing to do and how much you want it. And then also put the work in, in the place where it's needed. Like, you know, if, if it's so, I mean, it, that, that can mean something different for everyone, but um, know what you're good at and know when it's time to hold them and when it's time to fold them, you know? Like if, if you are really not good at uh, playing and singing at the first, and the, on the first, you know, playing and singing at the same time, um, either you're gonna have to get rid of that and bring on a guitar player or a singer who can sing or play guitar for you, or you're gonna have to put in that however many hours it takes. And by the way, 10,000 hours is the uh, amount that you can be certain at which you will be an expert. So if you're willing to put in the 10,000 hours it takes to play and sing at the same time, then do it. If you're not willing to do that, then be honest, then just bring on a guitar player, no shame. If you really wanna sing, like that's just what you gotta do. Mm -hmm. Really well said. Good advice. Thank you. Um, and then I asked you about a song that you might like to uh, talk about and have played on this podcast. And you talked about uh, Just Begun. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I love this song so much. Um, this was uh, originally called Song 14 from our, uh, <laughs> from our year of improv music. And this song, it's uh, a new song, a brand new song, but it reaches back to a time in my life, very, very old time in my life. Uh, as I mentioned, I lived in Germany and that was on scholarship, academic scholarship. I happen to speak German as well, but I was living in Germany and I was at a party at the student dorm and um, I was there cutting a rug and dancing and this beautiful, handsome Turkish man, just so amazing came up to me and we were dancing and he, and he says like, Hey, uh, you know, my apartment is uh, right around the corner. We could get a little privacy if you want to. <laughs> and I was like, 
<laughs> naive, very naive, very, very stupid at the time. I was like, yeah, sure, let's go. I mean, it turned out he was an amazing guy. We ended up being very good friends with very good benefits. And it was a, <laughs> it was a great decision. But I didn't know this guy from Adam. And he just came up and I was just like, yeah, let's do it. Because I was that kind of, uh, it was that kind of moment in my life. And so this song is about that moment when we left before I knew he was an amazing person and he was great and honorable and integral. And, and, and the other reason that I wrote it is because um, he ended up, because I was, you know, I, was, I didn't stay in Germany and it didn't make sense for us to try to have any kind of real relationship, even though he was an awesome person. He was going to medical school in Germany and um, long story short, he did get married with someone else, a wonderful woman, and he had a son with her. And then unfortunately he, uh, he passed away. He passed away from cancer. And so um, this, so that, this song was also just an homage to what I know was a very fun moment in both our lives mm -hmm. and a very cool part of my life story. And shout out to Jason for playing the bass riff that I made up, even though it was very difficult. And he kind of balked a little bit when I was like, play it like this. And then he says, what? That, like, oh, are you serious? very difficult but he did it and he did he did it very well so yeah anyway um this this is still a little bit of a rough cut but um hopefully when we're able when it's safe to go back in the studio we're gonna have a real version of it yeah great well thank you for sending this our way so we can check out what you do and then speaking of that where can we find more information on you yeah, you can visit my website, rachelhamer.com. I am also on Facebook. That's where I have the ukulele time machine. You can look up the ukulele time machine. You'll see me there wearing a steampunk outfit, top hat, and uh, looking like the time machine operator that I am. And uh, I'm also on Instagram, Island Girl Music NYC. Of course, all of these can be connected to through my website, rachelhamer.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. And um, yeah, it's always a blast getting to know more and more about you. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to finding out where your career takes you, where your music takes you, where everything else takes you. So um, congrats on everything so far. Thank you so much for having me on the program. It's been a blast talking with you and um, to everyone out there. Uh, you know, I consider you just to be friends that I haven't met yet. So come on my socials and slide into the DMs and we'll be, we'll be friends. Love that. Well said. All right. Thanks so much. Have a good one.
featured patrons are Stephen and Lisa Fragging of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thanks for all your support. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, Produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again.